0: Hi there, I'm Ian Boothby and I'm David Dedrick
1: and you're listening to Completely Beatles. This is our first episode. Uh, we're trying something a little different here. We do a podcast called Sneaky Dragon, which is uh, some people have described it as a stream of consciousness uh, podcast. Some people have gone. What the hell is that? Uh, We have not had a good answer for what that is, but time and time again, the Beatles have been brought up on our show, and we thought, why don't we do a podcast that's our spin-off. This is our Mork and Mindy to our happy days, Uh, and so it'll last only three seasons, then we'll bring Jonathan Winters in, and the whole thing will tank. But we're going to be going over the Beatles' albums uh, track by track. We decide, why not do them all. Yeah. Uh you as the podcast listener have your choice to hey, I don't like that album. Don't listen. Don't listen to that episode. Yeah. That's what you're going to do. Or skip over uh the songs you don't want to listen to. That's that's fine too. But we're going to try our best to do complete coverage of uh, all the albums and all the songs. Dave, are you with me on this?
0: I uh, I guess I am because I'm here in the studio with you. So. That is
1: correct. Are you willing to come with me on this adventure?
0: On this magical mystery tour?
1: Oh, very good. Yes, I, I am. Then let's hop in our Yellow <laughs> dirigible. All right, I have not really done a lot of research.
0: <laughs> You're a little behind. From what
1: yeah. I from what I can see, it's flying in the sky, mm-hmm. so I assume it's a dirigible. Yep. Anyway, yep. Uh, the first album we're going to be talking about is called uh, "Please Please Me."
0: Yes, that's right. The first Beatles album, so I guess that's the best place to start. And I thought we can go two ways. We can go track by track as they appear on the albums, or we can go track by track as they were recorded. Ah. And I kind of favor the recorded part of it because, to me, it suits better for when we get to the end, okay. Here, end of the Beatles. Here's
1: what's going to happen then. This is going to be me with my notes, which I've done in order mm-hmm. of track by track. That's okay. You're going to hear this. <laughs> That's okay. Through the whole thing. So if you don't it mind that like sound. A, it sounds
0: like a crackling fire. Right? So it'll make people warm. Now, now, one
1: thing about the album Please Please Me that I was thinking was when when young girls, and I'm just assuming it was young girls, uh, maybe some boys ordered order this album at the shop, uh, it would be an awkward one to order. Because they're uh, British for the most part, yes. they're polite. Yes, they would have to say please. So to order the album, you have to say please, please me, please. Oh, okay, and you just sound like you have a stammer. Have
0: please, please me, please. Exactly. Uh, the thing where they would say actually is, do you have the new Beatles? Well,
1: you wouldn't say that. They would say, do you have the first Beatles? Because first this is the Be- first one. <laughs> they would go, what do you mean new? Like, I, I don't understand your context, they would say. And then, get your rumpus out of the uh, tuckamy is what they'd say. I don't know British slang.
0: But it would have been the third Beatles release, because before oh. that was uh, the first single, Love Me Do. Mm-hmm. The second single, Please Please Me. And it was on the success of Please Please Me that this album was Rush released and Rush recorded. Oh, okay. So if there hadn't been... a Successful song like please please me, then really there would have been no album of that title.
1: Very good. All right. So so uh, so the first song then we'll be covering in order of recording because mm-hmm. you have now changed the order completely. Yes, thrown me, <laughs> yes. thrown me for as they say. A loop. A loop. All right, so while I'm looping, or in mm-hmm. England, as they say, a roundabout. Yes, revolving. Oh, as you're revolving. That's right. Uh, we get to that album later, The Beatles <laughs> Revolving. Uh, what What was the first song that they recorded?
0: Well, the first song, I mean, let's, well, this, I, we don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about the demos and things that they did, so we're oh, not going to- Oh, no, we we're don't. We're not going to go track by track through Besse Mucho and- what are other, other silly songs no, that they decided we're to cover just looking at Please for, Please Me today. Yeah.
1: Please Please Me. So, so what's the first, the first song they recorded in the Please Please Me? Their song.
0: first song they ever recorded was Love Me Do. Very good. So when they uh, went to do their very first uh, demo session for, for George Martin, uh, he actually wasn't present for their first recording session, which was sort of a tryout. Uh, George Martin's assistant, Ron Richards, was actually the person who was in, in charge of the Beatles at that, at that moment. But when he and the recording engineer, Norman Smith, heard Love Me Do, they liked it enough that they actually called George Martin up and he came to hear that song and then he sort of took over the rest of the sessions and the rest of the Beatles career, the recording career. And so up, so that kind of was, that was like their best song, I guess is what I was trying to say there. But there was another song because George Martin actually wanted them to record a different song called How Do You Do It, which was written by a guy named Mitch Murray. Mm -hmm. And he was sort of, I don't know if he was a staff writer for Parlophone or if he was just someone that, You know, it was sort of, you know, it was one of those, the music industry was just sort of a lot of people who knew each other. What was the
1: theme of how do you do it? It wasn't how to build a shelf. No, it
0: was not. It was how do you do these wonderful things to my heart? Oh, how
1: do you do these things? I'm confused by the love that you give me. Explain it
0: to me. How do you do the things that you do to me? It was kind of like that. Mm. That I think sounds um, like
1: that sounds like the kind of song I've heard many a time.
0: Yeah. It w- and it was well, you probably have heard it because it was it was actually a hit song for Jerry and the Pacemakers. Another act that was signed to NEMS, which was Brian Epstein's uh, managing company.
1: And I think we've established that the word do is easy to rhyme, which is why you've got Love Me Do and How Do You Do the Do. And now, of course, we have uh, Mountain Dew with their Do the Do campaign. It it just rhymes really well. It's a
0: great word. All of it comes down to to Mountain Dew. Yeah,
1: it brings brings you uh, to you, and then you can look at the audience, and uh, the Beatles looking at the audience is what makes the girls scream. Oh, yes. Now, let me just say just in general, Mm -hmm. listening to this album... This album is scream bait. It is complete and utter emotional manipulation of these girls who are listening yeah. to this song, much more so than later albums. You mm-hmm. know, this is this is
0: a lot of... Some uh, of the songs. I wouldn't say all of the songs, but I would agree with you. Okay, we'll go song. song by song. Yeah. We'll see.
1: But like, yeah. uh, you know, it's almost all like turning to the audience and go, Hey, baby, I, I just want some love. Mm-hmm. Are, are you willing to love me? And of course, yes, we are. Yeah. And, you know,
0: come on. Well, that's true. And it, so, yeah, when we look at the early Beatles songs, not just these ones, almost the first four singles all are, and even the B-sides are all directed towards someone. So we think of Love Me yeah Deep, Please Please that's Me. That's right. P.S. I Love You, which Boom. is the B-side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, what was the other? Ask me why. Well, I could tell you, you know, if so uh,
1: if we did this linearly, but yeah. you've you've wacky ordered it up, buddy. I am not wacky so I don't it up I don't know.
0: But those are the first those are the first four songs recorded because they were all A A B sides A B sides. So. Right, and this
1: is the most basic song the the love love me do. Yeah. This is just like look, will you love me? Please do. I'm gonna be a good guy. Love me seriously. Let me repeat that. Have I established that I love you? <laughs> now I love me back. I would really like you to love me. One more time, let's go back to it, and love me do. Boom. Out. Out, it's, we're done.
0: It's a very basic song. Could
1: not be simpler. Babies can learn this song like in thirty seconds and, one and they're of the, singing And One of
0: the earliest songs, probably written around 1958 by Paul McCartney. Yeah. With some help by John Lennon. So probably McCartney got it to a certain point, uh, and then kind of got stuck and he and then he and Lennon kind of worked it. And if you read um Ian McDonald's fabulous book, Revolution in the Head, um, in there he he draw he kind of he, when he's looking at the songs, because of course, every song by Lennon and McCartney is credited to Lennon and McCartney. It, you know, even if Lennon had nothing to do with the song and it was solely written by Paul McCartney and vice versa, it's always credited to Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and that was decided early on in their career, mm-hmm. when they were writing together, when they would sit together in two chairs facing each other and throw ideas back and forth and, you know, combine, you know, their and try and find chords and things like that. Um, so... Even later, when they weren't writing together, you know, there were still times when one or the other would throw in an idea into the other one's song. And so Ian MacDonald, in his book, he's he kind of he kind of gave them a it's a stereotype because obviously everyone's a little different. You know, no one follows exactly a, a pattern. But most McCartney songs tend to be upwards. They tend to follow in an up in an upward sort of scale. So it'll have a lot of octave leaping, and it'll you know. Whereas John Lennon's songs tend to be more kind of crab-like and sort of follow very...
1: Crab-like, you've said. Crab-like. Yes. Crab-like. I thought you were going to go downwards, but you went sideways. That's what you're saying with crab-like. Well,
0: no, it not go downwards. His followed in a kind of very... Very closely to to almost one note in a song. So his songs will have a kind of da 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 da. Okay.
1: Da, da. So a love love me do is that a Paul or is that's that a Paul, John? That's a Paul. That's a Paul song. That's yeah. completely Paul. Like it is not a million miles away from just a guy going do 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 Like lyric wise, mm-hmm. like if you could teach a dog to sing a song, yeah. This like and a dog, the first dog who will mm-hmm. ever sing a full song probably could sing this song.
0: Yeah. Well, I should probably turn off my phone. But um, um, Paul. All of them were not. Oops, were not very com- like they were very confident or comfortable with with, you know. Like there's reports that they wrote like 200 songs before they started. That like the Beatles became sure. like popular. No one knows for sure. But what's for sure is that most of the songs they didn't consider worth recording.
1: Now, would they have been playing these songs live before they went to the oh, uh, yeah. album stage? Oh yeah, because that's what it feels like to me. It feels mm-hmm. like these are the songs that you would play in front of an audience, and these are the ones that you would get the huge screams. You know, this yeah. is the this is the one that drive the fans uh, nuts. And later on, with their later albums, you know, you're writing songs for the albums. But yeah. this one really feels audience based. Yeah. You know, which isn't a bad thing to do when you're starting. And you know, it was the type of music at the time. Almost all the songs it felt like at the time were either, man, I'm having a bad time. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you yeah. how rotten things are. Mm-hmm. And there's one of those songs on here. Yeah. Uh, or. You know, baby, I've got a question for you, and it's a serious question. Is it, is it the Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, it's that question. <laughs> like it's just one of those. It's yeah. one of those. That the girls sit next to the radio, and uh, there, and uh, and these ones just feel like you're in the club, and uh, you're just trying to drive the girls as crazy and take them on as emotional roller coaster as you possibly can, and leave them exhausted by the end. Well,
0: they read a they read a book about songwriting, and it told them in the book that to write songs to, uh, to the audience. Yes. So, early on, they did that. I mean, they changed later. We'll, when we get to later songs, Absolutely. obviously, as they develop the songwriters, I mean, Love Me Do is a very simple song. Yes. It's not that complicated. I mean, what makes it a great song is because the Beatles were naturally gifted musicians in the sense that they they sought out some little different things to make the song interesting. So, you have the harmonica in it, which is interesting, you know, has its own kind of sound. And uh, George Martin called it Northern Harmonica. How so? I just, the sound of it, he thought was its own distinct sound. It wasn't just like the region. northern
1: end of the harmonica. Yeah, no, no.
0: And it was a, it was a, a scalar harmonica, I think they're called, where you have a little button on it that you can, that you can pull almost like a, a slide whistle. Oh, really? It changes the octave. And it's not like, you wow. know, like when we think of the like, the kind
1: fancy hobos use.
0: Well, like, blues musicians, yeah, they would just have one, especially ones who play, like, say, uh, Bob Dylan mm-hmm. or it would be another example of someone who played a, you know, a harmonica that was tuned to a particular key. And he wrote all the songs around that Well, he seemed for to that also like had that
1: thing attached to his head. Well, that's right. He couldn't mess around. Exactly. He didn't have a spare set of hands. Just got
0: to go to sound. when you had a, a, you know, someone who played harmonica as just their, you know, just harmonica, let's say like Toots Thielman who did the harmonica in the Sesame Street theme. Okay. Or um, there's another guy whose name I can't think of now, Larry, something who would have been popular in England at that time. He played, actually played a lot of songs. And there was another guy who played a lot of songs in the Goon Show, played harmonica On a lot of songs for the Goon Show, and so John Lennon loved the Goon Show, so he would have heard that harmonica, and he would have you wanted to use that that style. But um, and so not only was that a hook in that song, but it became like almost like a a trademark for several of their singles had that harmonica sound in it. Did it boost harmonica sales? I'm sure it did.
1: I'm sure it did as well. It was a good day to be in big harmonica.
0: <laughs> Guitars and harmonicas.
1: And a bad day for barbers as people stop getting their haircut. All right. So, what's the next song that was no, the other end, I just want to say oh, a couple more do. interesting
0: things about this. Because when they recorded this song, like, okay, we all know that Pete Best was thrown out of the Beatles. Now, why he was thrown out, no one knows for sure. Like Stealing stealing girls' hearts yeah, when, that, go when the other less handsome ones couldn't. That's a possibility that the Beatles were, particularly Paul McCartney, might have been jealous of Pete Best.
1: No, you don't want one super handsome guy because then you turn the rest into uggos. That's right. You know, uh, when you socialize, you want guys that are about your look level, but maybe a little higher. Sure. And then you raise all boats. Yeah. But, you know, one fancy boat and you're all, uh, you're all just tugs. You don't need that.
0: Well, you're not. The one handsome guy is very, very handsome and everyone else is very, very plain.
1: Yeah, completely. You don't need yeah. that.
0: So, that's, I mean, that's a possibility. The other possibility is he never was that close to the other Beatles. Even when you, if you look at like pictures of them in Hamburg, he's hurt. There's the pictures where he's not even there. Like it's just the three Beatles or the the four Beatles, Stu Setcliffe. And, um, you know, and so Pete Best just didn't seem to be that friendly with them. I mean, they were happy that he was with them. They needed a drummer when they went to Hamburg the first time. They desperately needed a drummer. And drums were really expensive, so it was hard to find drummers. He, had drums. He was a drummer, and so he went with them.
1: Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you one bit of t- uh, trivia about Pete Best. I I met him once, and he enjoys grapes.
0: Is that right? We were in a green room. He was
1: eating some grapes. Ate a lot of
0: grapes. There, that's
1: your Beatles trivia that you're not going to get anywhere else. No one will. No one will break that whole grape story to you. And it's. Hard. And also, was a very pleasant individual.
0: I'm glad. I'm glad. And I mean, he had a hard life. I mean, I mean, he was thrown out of the Beatles, and it wasn't that the Beatles knew they were going to become super successful and just threw him out. You know what I mean? Like. When he when he left the band, their 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 future was still a question mark. So it wasn't like you know they were guaranteed superstardom, and he was he was cut out from that. Yeah, um,
1: he's very much like Lucifer, and then he <laughs> was cast out from heaven, and that's when heaven really took off. Before <laughs> Lucifer, you never heard much about heaven. That's
0: is that. How it and is then
1: it? afterwards, that's when all the shenanigans sure happened, and
0: it became a big deal. I'm sure he appreciates the comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there, so it's hard to say like exactly why. Like it's true, George Martin didn't like his drumming, but he also. He also didn't like uh, Ringo's drumming. And on Love Me Do and on P.S. I Love You, actually there's a session drummer named Andy White playing the drums on those two tracks. Ringo doesn't play on them. He plays tambourine on uh, Love Me Do. He taps it out. But he doesn't get to play on those two songs. They brought in a session musician because at that time you were only considered a really good drummer if you could play on on the four, on the bass, which after Ringo and and Charlie Watts and great drummers like that, all that kind of thinking went out the door until he got back to the 80s and you, needed drum, you had drum machines. Right. And then that became a, a common thing again. But in, uh, after Ringo, I mean, after that, it was just this kind of very loose swinging drum sound that had nothing to do. Now, what's funny, I was, uh, I was curious why Pete Best was thrown out. So I, I looked at some different books that I have. okay, uh, Just to read on that, you know, what it said about it. I read The Beatles Chronology by Mark Lewis and doesn't mention it at all. Doesn't mention, just mentions it in passing because he didn't show up for a gig that night. The night he was thrown out, he was supposed to play three more gigs. Understandably, he did not come to those gigs. And another uh, drummer, Jim Hutchinson or something like that from the Big Three, uh, he stood, he you know was a stand-in on drums. So I didn't mention it at all why he was thrown out. I read a um, Chip Flippo's book yesterday about Paul McCartney. I looked in there to see what it said about it. It's a very good book. It probably has the best description of the Beatles Hamburg period in that book. In there. Um, You know, he mentions that Pete wasn't really part of the group, you know, and and so that's kind of his reasoning for it. And then, I know I'm taking a long time on this one song, and then, uh, but I just want to talk about Pete Best because I do think it's kind of interesting. It's because, and then I read Albert Goldman's uh, book about John Lennon, which of course is, he didn't, he just... It's kind of fun to read because he just puts down the musicianship of the Beatles all the time, which I don't agree with, but it's sort of amusing because it's is such a anti or counter to the popular view stance to take.
1: It was kind of a popular view to put down the Beatles at the time.
0: And he says in there that uh, Pete Best was a jockey drummer and that he drove the Beatles' sound. Okay. Ringo, he thought, was a less less of a less good drummer than Pete Best, which I don't know where he got that idea from because there's not that much recorded Pete, Pete Best drumming, and that. The Beatles threw him, threw Pete Best out because he was ha- more handsome than them, and they didn't like that. So, so yeah. Wh- so, so what's curious is, of course, people often blame George Martin, for instance, for Pete Best's dismissal because the Beatles felt like, well, he doesn't like our drummer, so we'll get a new drummer. It didn't have anything to do with George. I mean, even when Ringo was there, he still brought in a session uh, drummer for the first single. He came to appreciate Ringo's skill, and that stopped happening after that. But
1: he also was a big bucket of charm, that Ringo star. <laughs> and you can't uh you can't you know and also you don't sometimes you don't want the guy who's the best, yeah well, actually literally the best in this case as as was his name, but you want a drummer that uh say uh you can uh, uh drum along to and go like i could I could be that guy i've uh, I've always kind of felt you know uh, there's there's a bit of that to, to music where like uh kids want to be able to do it like but you want you want to watch someone who's that little bit better than you. You know, at what you can sort of do, but you don't want to be like so good that like, ah, it could never be that. <laughs> Can't relate to this at all. Wow. So okay, uh, we have taken a quarter of our time on one song. one song. Well,
0: it's a pretty pivotal song in the Beatles' history. That's right. No, so, I understand. Song number that. two,
1: but it's good that we're talking about drummers because now we've got to keep the pace, Dave. We've got to keep the pace.
0: So song number two, yeah, song number two on side two, already is "P.S. I Love You," and that was the B-side to "Love Me Do."
1: Right. What I love about that is, is that you've got love me do. And like yeah. you could not say the word love
0: yeah. more. Yeah.
1: It's like love, love me do. Yeah. Love, love me do. Love you. I love you. You love me. I love yeah. you. Yeah. Done. We're done now. Okay. Thanks for ending that song. What's <laughs> the next song? P.S. Oh, there's something else you got to tell me. Yeah. What is it? Love me do. Look, we've just gone over. <laughs> they could not love me more. Okay. We get it. Yeah. We get it. Now it's getting creepy. <laughs> but it is one of those, it is one of those songs about letters I lo- we no longer have
0: yeah and letter songs were a popular uh genre of of pop songwriting yeah wait a minute here. mr
1: postman yeah yeah
0: yeah and but only that, i mean there's lots of this letter songs you know but um I, what well i do love that song i, lo- I love it because it's a cha-cha but you don't really hear oh it. is it really Is yeah a it's, a song? it's a cha-cha it's a cha-cha beat so you could do the cha-cha to that song okay
1: okay you know, that's is, interesting
0: and uh yeah I mean, obviously, they were writing to their audience, which was becoming girls. I think when the Beatles started, they appealed to boys. As their career progressed, they started to appeal more to girls. And that's just how rock and roll works. Yeah. You know, when you start, you, you know, like even reading about Jürgen Vollmer just first discovering them in Hamburg, you know, he tried to get uh, Astrid Kirchner to come and hear them or Kirchherr to come and hear them. But she wouldn't. She couldn't be bothered to come and hear this <laughs> rock and roll band. It took, her a, and it took her quite a while to actually come and hear them play. And he fell in love with them right away because something about them was very masculine and appealing at that time. You know, when they were very loose, smoked on stage, ate, burped, farted, made jokes. John Leonard played with a toilet seat around his neck, played nude on stage. All the things that they crazy did. Wait, he he played nude on stage? He did. He played naked on stage when... For one show, yes. Is this in Germany? Yep. Ah, oh, what
1: are you going to do? It's Germany. Well, yeah,
0: they are playing in these cheap dives. It really didn't matter what the hell they did. They played like, you know, five-hour sets with a 10-minute break in between. Right. So, you know, whatever. And they're also out of their minds on, on amphetamines. So,
1: you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, Anna, and uh, let's just, just to, just to the PS I love you mm-hmm. uh, uh, situation here. It's like, it's also a very smart song because you've always got a situation. Like, there's certain situations you're going to be in as a, as a kid. Yeah. One, you're in love. Oh, okay. I'm so in love. Yeah. And then there's I wish I loved that person, but I wish I could tell them. Mm-hmm. I just don't have the nerve. Yeah. And so you want the song with the person telling you, "Listen, I got a secret. Yeah. And my secret is I love you." Oh, that's the song I want to hear. <laughs> and then you've got the I'm in love with this person, but they're away. They're somewhere yeah. far away. And this is that song. Is this is that? Write me a letter. You know. Is, so so you've got a song. Every you've got a song on this album for almost every emotional state that mm-hmm. you could be. It's a very smart. Oh, that's album I for never that. thought of that. Yeah. It's true. It's you cover true. all the bases. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. And they even got the, I'm really upset, we'll get to that one, Mm -hmm. I'm really upset, life sucks, boom, we've got that song. So, (laughs) ah, it's gold.
0: Okay. So, just move on to song number three. I think you can only, I mean, I love P.S. I Love You. I think it's a great song. I love the the harmonies in it. But uh, there's only so much you can say about it before you. So, number three would be Please Please Me, their next single. Okay. So, what's interesting, what's fun about that song is that it was... uh, you're searching through your papers? Uh, yes, point? I am,
1: because I, again, had mine in perfect order.
0: <laughs> it's the last song. So you... It's the last song inside one. Okay, number that's, seven. that's
1: fantastic. You keep going.
0: So uh, this was written by John Lennon. This is a Lennon song. Unlike uh, unlike Love Me Do and P.S. I Love You, which are both Paul McCartney, mainly Paul McCartney songs, um, Please Please Me was written by John Lennon. And when he wrote it, he he wrote it as a, a mid-tempo ballad that he would sing, kind of like a, a Roy Orbison song. So he pictured it as sort of a slow song. Um and I can't even imitate it. Um, what's the first?
1: Oh, I got the lyrics. Okay. Uh, last night I said these words to my girl. I know you never even try, girl. Yeah. So come you... on, come on, come on, come on. So you, you. Please, please me.
0: Well, it's not just him saying come on. So you, it's not. It's not quite as pleading as that. It's, that's more of an exciting, really dynamic moment in the song. And it probably wasn't in the song when it was first written, because what it was when when they played it to George Martin. George Martin said, "I like how this sounds, but what I want you to do is take it back, speed it up." And I want you to rearrange it for harmonies because it was written as a solo ballad. It wasn't supposed to have others. Yeah, yeah, it is
1: very it. Roy Orbison, In that Roy Orbison usually had songs where you, you where you went like, this poor schmuck is never gonna have love in his life, yeah. and he's singing sadly about it, <laughs> and he's wailing, and you're going, yeah. oh, that poor guy. Cause look at him. Mm-hmm. How could he? How this, could he? And the
0: song still has the has the falsetto in it as well, which would have been a, a Roy Orbison right. tribute as well.
1: Now this is one of those songs where, in, in real life, if you heard this, you'd go, "This relationship isn't going to work." Mm-hmm. Like this is one of just like, "Hey baby, why why don't you love me? Why don't you do nice things to me like I do to you?" Well, yeah. she doesn't care for you, man. She doesn't care for you. And you know what? That's a great song. For the, I don't want to say the loser guys out there, Mm -hmm. but brother, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, so it's like, hey, the the Beatles are singing this song. They have the same problems I do. All right. Because you don't want, you don't want to have all the songs as a fella being like, you know, I'm doing great. I'm doing great with the ladies. Things couldn't be better. And this is one of those, uh, this is one of those songs where just like, "Why, why don't, why don't, why don't you love me as much as I love you?
0: Why, why, come on, come on, please. Come on, come on. It's a it's a brilliant arrangement. Like what they brought back to him, I can see why he was so pleased with it. And but I, I also wanted to point out that how, that this song shows how important George Martin was for the Beatles as well. Like it's mm-hmm. not all the Beatles. Like they had to have people around them to make make the Beatles. You know they needed Brian Epstein, this incredibly organized person, to right. to get their career kick started. I mean, when they came back from Hamburg, they 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 were playing in the Cavern. They had a you know they had a gig there. They played every lunchtime in the Cavern. But they were just playing in that Liverpool. That is so
1: weird that that's the lunch show. Yeah. That you would go... You know, there's people alive today who were like, yeah, I'd go have lunch, watch the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And like, would they be called the Beatles then? Would they be the Silver Beatles? No, or they would have been sl- the Beatles, yeah. All right. Wow. That's uh, that's that's neat.
0: It is neat, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you go to this place in your lunchtime, you just leave for your lunch, and you'd go down to the cavern and have a sandwich. Now, I'm assuming this, this
1: wasn't when John was naked with a toilet seat around no, his this, neck. No, that
0: was Hamburg. this time, they were still playing in their leathers. They still had their leather suits so that they yeah. brought back with them from Hamburg. But they were really trading water. You know, they were going nowhere. You know, it wasn't until Brian Epstein stepped into their lives that then they really started to, you know, get more gigs, get more money, move out of the cavern, move into dance halls, move into clubs, uh, get a record contract with Parlophone. All those things were, were through Brian. And the same thing when that you know for their music career you know you know George Martin you know there possibly was no other producer who could have done what he did for the Beatles at that point in their career you know someone who could first recognize their their talent right you know decide no I'm not going to force them to do this how do you do it song put that back in the drawer because. This song, I Love Me Do, has something, and I, and I can you know I can sense that this song has something in it. And when I hear Please Please Me, even though it sounds totally unlike what we know as the song now, I can hear in that the germ of this great song. And I trust these people enough to send them away on their own to, to develop that song. And when they come back, you know, I'm going to hear them play it. I'm going to say to them, and this is what he said after they finished the song. He said, gentlemen, you've just made your first number one. Mm. That's what he said over the over the, the callback to them in the, in the studio. And he was right. You know, that song as, you know, was at number one. And it needed that team together to make that song into a a number one song. So, yeah.
1: Nice. All right, next song recorded
0: was? The next song would have been the B-side, Ask Me Why.
1: Ask Me Why. All right.
0: While I look that up. (laughs) It's number six. Just just before Please Please Me.
1: Okay, that sounds fantastic.
0: So, this was another song, another Lennon song, which he wrote in an attempt to imitate Smokey Robinson, Smokey Robinson, The Miracles, who he really, really liked a lot as a singer. And so, uh, he actually... We'll later on next show, we'll hear a cover that he did of Smokey Robinson, but this was a song he wrote in, in imitation of it. It's probably it's it's a beautiful song. There's probably not very much to say, but I I don't have that much. That uh...
1: when I originally uh, put my stuff in sensible order, um, <laughs> I made a mention on this that I think that I think the album is very very well structured. Yeah. I'll just say just in just in general, mm-hmm. it starts with a dance song, as yeah. in like we're at a dance. It feels like, mm-hmm. and then it ends with a dance song that's like a really now we're really at a dance. Okay. Like it starts with yeah. I saw her standing there. Mm-hmm. It ends with twist and shout. Yeah. You know, so it starts with, hey, there you are. I hope you're going to dance. Not only the end. that,
0: both sides end with big songs. Like, it's weird to me that Please Please Me... Their big selling number one hit was the seventh song on the first side.
1: No, I can see that because like, it's very well structured yeah. for an emotion. Again, I keep saying emotional roller coaster, mm-hmm. but it is. And there's a little reference in here to uh, I can't believe it's happened to me. I can't conceive of any more misery. Now, earlier, there's a song called Misery and yeah. they hit you with that word misery, <laughs> yeah. misery, misery, misery. Yeah. And then they play it up a little bit here and it's like, hey, it's, oh, it's yeah. you know, in the old stand up comedy, you call that a little callback. Mm-hmm. and and they and that's what it felt like in listening to the album as a whole was there's callbacks to things you can see like oh they're having this uh, this sad problem here and now here's a thing that relates to it later and then a little bit later it's very very well broken down and structured yeah
0: well it would have been George Martin who did the tracking because the Beatles would have had nothing to do with the mixing of, of this album they mm-hmm. would i mean i mean they came in they did this album in one day they recorded for exactly 9 hours and 45 minutes they went over they went overtime in those days at Abbey Road, or all studios, you rec- they had three recording t- times during the day. So it was like 9 to 12, 1 to 4, 7 to 10. Those were the times you recorded. No other time. So, but, like, for instance, when um, George Martin and, and Norman Smith went for lunch, the Beatles actually stayed and they continued rehearsing. They didn't want to have lunch. They just wanted to keep rehearsing. So they just kept rehearsing for the... So when they came back again, they were, they were ready for the next... And the other thing they did was they, they kind of front-loaded it. They did their own songs at the beginning... And that took the most time, so they did like you know seven or ten takes of you know, seven you know, please please me and those those songs, and then the last part of the night they just whipped through the the covers. Yeah. You know? And so that's why they're the that's why we haven't talked about them yet because they were the last things that were done. No,
1: that makes sense. The one thing about "Ask Me Why," looking at the lyrics here, they look very much like Roy Orbison lyrics. Mm -hmm. You know, they have a lot of you know. Now your mind, my happiness still makes me cry, and in time you'll understand the reason why. If I cry, this that's just pure Roy Orbison to me when I'm looking at that. It could be,
0: or it could be, it's also very Smoky Robinson. Like it Mm -hmm. has a real, you know, like uh, I think it was Bob Dylan who called him the poet laureate of of America.
1: Smokey Robertson?
0: Smokey Robertson, yeah. Robinson, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Smokey
1: Robertson, that guy's terrible. Yeah, he's,
0: he's not great as good. Yeah. He's not great as good. Now, I do enjoy that song, but it's, just, it's it was a throwaway. It was a B-side. That's right, it's there. And it's what's, inter- t- what, what's interesting about Please Please Me, actually, as an album, is it's a, really the only Beatles album that has, like, singles on it. Like, after that, they wouldn't put their singles on albums. Mm-hmm. So, like, doesn't matter what big single you can think of. It wasn't on an album. It's a
1: good. Uh, ask Me Why is a good pacing song. You yeah. want that. You yeah. know, it lets, makes you remember a previous song, the Misery one, mm-hmm. which you kind of like. Like, ah, I remember how much I like that yeah. song. And by the time you hear about that, you're on to the next song. Yeah. So the next one they recorded was?
0: The next one they recorded uh, was uh, the fifth song they recorded was. I have to look at my own notes now. Absolutely. Because, please do. Was There's a Place.
1: There's a place. Now, where is that? Where there's a place in it's, my notes. Oh, yes,
0: it's uh, number, number six on side two.
1: <laughs> number six on side two. All so right. Number
0: 13. I don't know how you would, that's right. you Numbered them. Or... I
1: did not number them, I just had them in correct order. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Once, once again, this feels there's a lot of this that feels like it could be Roy Orbisony, you know, okay. with this one. You know, there's a place I can go where I feel low, I feel blue, and it's in my mind. Yeah. You know, first of all, that is great. Teen, I don't that is great. Teenager lyrics. Yeah. Like, T-
0: that could only be John Lennon writing that song. No, there's no Roy Orbison in there to me at all. Is that right? Yeah.
1: You don't think he? You don't think Roy ever felt low? Do you think he I felt? Don't, but low? I don't think he
0: would write it because I don't think it's something that he would think to write about. Whereas to Lennon, Lennon who was all about that kind of personal revelations in his music. Mm-hmm. Like when you read, a, when, you, when you listen to a Roy Orbison song, it doesn't matter what he's singing about. It has nothing to do with his life. It's it's just a song for him. He didn't live on the Bayou. You know what I mean? He didn't. He didn't actually see a pretty woman. He's just <laughs> writing a song. To sing,
1: but I assume, you know? like in a Roy Orbison song. Here's what I feel like, and and thanks for joining us for our Roy Orbison podcast. Um, when I hear a Roy Orbison song, I think of a guy who's standing off to the side, mm-hmm. who's who will never get that girl, yeah. and is suffering, and is just talking about, "I'm crying, okay. I'm blue, yeah. she's so pretty, that's, things that's couldn't right. be better." Mm-hmm. Over, like, I wish I could be part of that world. Okay. I'll never be that, but I'm here in my own globe of doom. That was
0: that was his shtick.
1: That was his shtick. And so but when it I hear, wasn't him. No, I got you. It but, wasn't Roy Orbison. But when I hear when I hear, you know, like there's a place and you know uh you know when you hit the you know I feel low, I feel blue yeah. it's in my mind, yeah. you know, and that that to me feels like that same. And again, it's it's But you know the it's, song
0: it's, is a celebration of it. I got you. You know, like I got it's not you. it's not a mournful song. It's nope. you know there is a place and you know and in my mind. You know, that's a big part of the song. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's not a it's not low key minor. You know, oh my! It's all in my mind. No,
1: no, no, and you don't want that. Like yeah. you don't want that for like your teenage thing, but you do want to acknowledge. You know, uh, you you do want to acknowledge. You know that uh, I feel I feel bad sometimes. I feel I feel crap. I feel I feel uh, the, the terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I got it in my head. I'm uh, there, and because when you're listening to this song as a teenager, you're probably listening in your room, which is the time that you're alone. You're listening to it next to your radio, and so you really relate to this business. Again, this is so manipulative. This album, it's fantastic. It's like you could just have, like it's like they took a psychologist and went like, "What do teenagers feel? They feel these things. Let's write a song about each emotion, each one, and just completely nail it." And this well, is. Well, they were
0: still young adults, so they still were going through those sort of emotions and those feelings. I yeah. gotcha.
1: And they, yeah. and they, and they hit them all, brother. They hit <laughs> them all. You know, it feels like sometimes when you listen to modern albums, and I don't want to be Johnny Old Fogie, but it's all like, uh, you know, things are great, things are swell, you know, this is what I want, this is what I like, lo- you know, but this, these are all just like, it's just, again, you know, the gamut of emotions and let's uh, let's just uh, say what you're feeling better than you could ever say it or articulate it. That's what you wanted from your music. And that's what I think they did really well. And with a bit of a sense of humor.
0: What's uh, A bit of trivia about this. It's written by Lennon, but uh, sung by McCartney, which is rare. Most of the oh. time, the writer sang his own song. So it's interesting. To Do me, you
1: think it, it would have been uh, very different with, uh, with Lennon singing it?
0: Um... I... I don't know. At that time, I think they're pretty similar in their singing styles. Right.
1: It did get different later.
0: That's yeah. true. Like I, I, I don't. I mean, there is a definite Lenin tone of voice that was kind of. That he sang with a kind of a raspy kind of a sound to his voice, which. You know, obviously re- relates partly to the fact that he had a terrible cold while he was making this <laughs> album. He had a terrible, terrible cold. Yeah, and he was just suffering through the whole thing. He, you know, he had to drink warm milk through through the recording session. Was taking these things called zoobs, which are like a throat loss, and He just had an open container of them and was just gobbling them during during the recording because his throat was so sore. And uh, so that kind of influenced that Beatlemania sound. And so other songs <laughs> he does sing in that kind of with that kind of raspy. But even before that, if you listen to, um
1: I lo- I just want to. I just want to interrupt to say, like, it's. Uh, I think it's like a Will Eisner quote that I like, which is, uh, style. Uh, style comes from uh, when you cannot achieve perfection. That's yeah. where style comes out of. Yeah. And uh, and in that case, that's what happened. Like, what's the thing? We couldn't get the ideal situation. We got mm-hmm. this, and that became the style.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then t- an, an imitatable style.
0: For sure. Thank yeah. you.
1: Thank you, viruses.
0: But then again, but if you listen to Ask Me Why, if you listen to that, you can hear his voice cracking while he's singing that. So there is an element. I think there's also an element of nervousness in their performance at this time. <laughs> I can't. But they were confident singing on stage. Yeah. But when you put them in the studio, where it's just some people up above them, because at Abbey Road Studio, the uh, the control room is situated up above. So they're singing and, and there's a you know three or four grown you know adult men <laughs> standing there looking down on them as they're playing their instruments in this very isolated situation.
1: If you want to, if you want to see what the studio looks like, the uh, Queenie Eye uh, video, Paul McCartney's new video, actually takes place at uh, Abbey Road. I believe it? so. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: it looks like because he, he runs up the stairs to the control room at the end of the video, and so you can kind of get a sense of oh, that's what it's like. So when they wanted to hear a playback, the Beatles had to run up the stairs so they could sit into the, sit in the control room. Well, they're and hear young, them.
1: man. They can run upstairs, and you know what? That's pra- good practice for a hard day's night. Where we're going to have you running around a lot.
0: When this album was recorded, uh, it was only two tracks at the time, so the only two tracks available. So there's very little overdubbing on it. There is a little bit of overdubbing. Uh, harmonica and George Martin added some piano um, and Celeste to... Um, Celeste to... Well, we can talk about it later. Okay. Because the songs will come up that he was playing piano. Fair about. enough. But um, I think we said all we want to say about there's a least. I think so. So then uh, number six is... I saw her standing there. Okay, which is a great, great song. And when they were when they were planning the album, one of the thoughts was that George Martin was going to go to the Cavern and, and record them live. Record this. Record the live act. Okay, live in the Cavern.
1: I could see that this was a huge. It would have been a huge song live.
0: Yeah, and in fact, uh, sometimes they played it for as long as ten minutes live with lots of different guitar solos and stuff like that. Yeah. I know it's hard to think about because the Beatles, when they started recording their songs, they played at a time when a song had to be no more than two minutes, two and a half minutes. Otherwise it would not get airplay. So if it was more than two and a half minutes, it couldn't be much more. And you had to lie on your label how long it was, which also <laughs> happened. That ha- that did happen. But uh, so, yeah, they, they were limited. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting to hear that song with, you know, multiple guitar solos and some, you know, back and forth with the audience. And, you know, that's a, you know, I always... But that's one of the things I always regret is, you know, I always say, if I could travel, but people say, well, if you could travel back in time, what would you do? I wouldn't go buy a lottery ticket for myself. I would go back to hear the Beatles play in the cavern. Well,
1: you'd be a fool to buy a lottery ticket because you could just get treasure. Why yeah. would you going back to get like, so you could then no, make no, no, money no, but later? No, only have
0: one trip. Where would you go? I would love to go back to the cavern to hear the Beatles play live. Okay.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: I would love to hear that. Okay. Well, you've got
1: a time machine. But you've I? got a one-time, a one-stop one time, time machine. machine yeah. Okay, I, I don't know about this theory at all. <laughs> but you got
0: to make a choice. You can't have if it's endless choices. I know, and but I no like the idea
1: that you were going to go and get a lotto ticket. It's no it's just fun like, if it's Just endless. go back and get Blackbeard's gold. Why do you have to get a lotto ticket? Yeah, ridiculous. So, but like that's a that's a good song as well. In in that uh, to top and tail the album, as I said,
0: I was just going to say that's why it has the count off. When it was decided that uh, uh, when it was decided they wouldn't record at the the cavern, uh, George Martin it, it seems still wanted to give it a kind of a live feel. Right. So he included the count off at the beginning of the song, which is what makes it really exciting as well. Is just having that you know <laughs> one, two, three, four, doot doot. Doo, you know that really makes it great.
1: Nice. And people and kids enjoy counting.
0: Oh, whatever. Who
1: doesn't enjoy it? Who doesn't I don't enjoy a good a good you, count?
0: You you are making it more more um i think it's more fluky than you're giving it like you make it sound like they're just aiming and everything was thought out <laughs> for that. I mean, oh, a lot no, of that oh no i don't is think things were thought out i think no, it's I, a lot I, of I know it
1: yeah. uh, i do want to have one segment in this show called lyrics that are creepier today than they were then okay and for me uh this is the this is the one from this album okay well she was just 17 you know what i mean
0: that is a brilliant because actually the original
1: lyrics, but, but nowadays it's if anyone's anyone saying that That's nowadays
0: age of, co- of consent
1: <laughs> yeah okay here's, here's it's right. over the age if of you consents. were singing, yeah yeah here's how the song would go now uh she was just 17 you know what i mean i mean she was above the age of consent hey, what, 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 how's that creepy? That's yeah, like, that's how the song lyric
0: you, would go. But wait, it's a 21-year-old or 20-year-old guy. He wrote the song in when he was in school still. I understand that. So I
1: understand that. Age, I'm just saying nowadays, that lyric would, there was not, tons be, of songs would about, not be in a song without people going, I don't know about that.
0: There was tons of songs about Sweet 16 and oh, stuff Oh, I'm sure like there that. was. Isn't and there the Chuck s- Berry song, Sweet Little 16? That's lovely,
1: but you say Sweet 16. I mean, there's lots of songs. Hello, baby. There's a lot of things in a lot of things, But but leaving that line of uh, like, I don't you know, You're know what I mean, You're and over-sensitive. what does he? Hey, Dave. You're too sensitive. What does he
0: mean? Oversensitive. What does he mean? That's a great. The original <laughs> lyric by Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah. Was she was just seventeen? No, be- she was no beauty queen. That was his original lyric.
1: Oh, that's a terrible lyric. Yeah.
0: John Lennon said bad job. John Lennon said no, take that out. You know what I mean. That's what he put in there. Uh, indeed, he and did. And that is a brilliant change, and that uh, is a brilliant song. I
1: do not say it is not brilliant. What's, I just say
0: what's interesting is that nowadays
1: it's a little strange.
0: It's weird, is because. Okay, no. Some people say it was mostly written by Paul McCartney. But Paul McCartney himself says no. It was written between me and L- John Lennon. But that's weird because when I was at the British Museum, they actually had like a, a sheet, uh, like a piece of paper with the lyrics on it. Paul McCartney's lyrics written out, the original lyrics. And he had handed it in school in school and it had a very bad mark from the teacher and it said, see me after class. Right. So he obviously wrote it much earlier than he thinks he did because he's saying he wrote it with Lennon in now, the 60s. Now, was this 60s. before he
1: met Lennon? He wrote this uh, in school,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, okay, like my fi- my feelings on it, or was, they
0: cut, they might have kind of known each other, but if
1: you're saying that they did this song for like you know, long periods of time, mm-hmm. like 15 minutes in their guitar solos, yeah, I mean, this feels like the kind of song that they would just add other lyrics to and fool around on stage oh, and it's kind possible. of write it on stage a little it's bit, yeah. You know? So, in that, in possible, that way,
0: mostly they wrote together, they would sit in a room together, face to face in a chair. And then they would write.
1: Well, I would also think like even if he wrote the lyrics, yeah. Uh, I think like the on-stage business. By the time it got to this stage, probably it did get rewritten on stage enough times oh, yeah. that I mean, the, you the... know, it was a combo
0: situation but, but not just then but george harrison would also have his own contribution Absolutely, and yeah. i assume at that time pete best would have had his own contribution as well to how the drums would sound and this
1: is a, again this is a fantastic song to start an album with oh, which yeah. is like how are you starting your musical album i'm starting Apparently, with
0: according to you creepily well,
1: a little bit a little bit and that's fine there's nothing wrong with starting an album again the hello babe it's pretty creepy to start never, off with, probably if never if an album, it probably of
0: only a single bit,
1: but but you're starting off your your music album uh with uh we're at a dance and I'm looking across the floor, and I want to dance with that girl. Yeah. That's a that's a fantastic way to start your album. Because, like, there you are. And by the end, we're at Twist and Shout, and now you're just going to town. And things are, things are crazy bananas. What, but we'll get to that song when we get to it. What's funny,
0: for me, like, I know these albums very well, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I know the lyrics. You know
1: them backwards, forwards. You know them so well, you can start in the middle and keep jumping around. But I don't know the lyrics under- that well.
0: Because I don't listen to lyrics. Ah, okay. I don't really care about lyrics and songs. I dislike the music. Like the, to me, the lyrics are very are almost meaningless, as they were to the Beatles at this time. The Beatles didn't th- really think about the lyrics that much.
1: Well, you could almost do a Mad Libs thing with here, with just throwing in love and do and cry and mm-hmm. just like again yeah any emotion. Keywords. Throw it in mm-hmm. and then you know have thing and then you know love you too, true blue. Like it really is a lot of that business. Yeah. All right. Next song that was recorded was. Um, and then I will madly scramble through my my many papers.
0: Sure. Well, the next song is would be uh, song number seven, which is uh, number four on side two. Okay. Which is you want to know a secret? Ah. Listen.
1: Oh boy! I tell you, like Do a. Oh. you
0: want to know it? This was uh, written by Lennon, but yeah. it was sung by Harrison on the album. It was everyone got their solo spot at that time in the in the act so everyone had their little songs that they sung and so i guess this one was written by lennon and he thought well i'll let george sing it
1: now what i what i like about this one is through the whole through the whole album as we say you could not say the word love more i love you i love you i love you who do i love you you're the one i love i wish i'd love you i wish you loved me as much as i love you and and then you get to this point where it's like hey listen i'm gonna tell you a secret i don't know what the secret's gonna be i love you no kidding no kidding kidding yeah it's not a secret after you've had like what was it now like eight songs saying that before but i guess that is that is the secret
0: but it's but it's, it's
1: the girl's dream you want yeah, the beetle to can't. go like listen hey babe just you Shh. okay i've sang this love song to everyone else in the room now now listen darling it's just you and me come here D- everyone else i just need to talk to sarah for a second sarah come here i gotta tell you a secret i love you don't
0: tell anyone keep it to yourself and we're back what's curious about well, what's curious about a lot of these songs to me is how rough a character John Lennon was in, in his own life. As someone who would you know gladly punch you in the face uh-huh. and kick you in the head, but then to write songs like these, it's it's an interesting you know in, it's a curious part of his character, isn't it? That he had this very brutal personality or persona, but also very sensitive. Obviously, a very sensitive person.
1: Well, for so the- you have
0: songs like "There's a Place." Or listen, do you want to know a secret? But
1: that's this. That's the thing with most bullies. I mean, you mo- most bullies have a, a, a gooey, soft center. There's a reason that you put on the hard shell. Yeah. And it's it's because you're soft underneath, and yeah. you got all these feelings, and so you got to be the manly man, and you know he had to wear the glasses and all that, and you know you can't look soft, so yeah. you put on a big front. Like the the one creepy thing in this song <laughs> is the uh, listen, I love you. Do not tell anyone.
0: Don't mm. mention this to anyone. He's obviously writing it to Cynthia
1: who was
0: John Lennon's wife, secret wife. She was not allowed to say that she was married to John Lennon. Ah, that's
1: so. a that's an interesting way to go. I, yeah. I just picture it like as in like uh, you know, one of those relationships where, you know, I just don't tell anyone. I you're my you're my secret girlfriend, yeah. which is a little bit again. That's what
0: Cynthia was. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> she was his secret wife because uh, it was felt that if John Lennon, you know, was known to be married, then he would not be a, a, appealing or attractive to teeny boppers. So, No, I that understand. Was kept kept under wraps the, he's lennon himself said the song was inspired by a, a song that his mum sang to him uh a disney song which was it was probably uh wishing well from snow white so where she says she's singing about a secret to the wishing well and so he took that and made it into this song Wow! and when he he recorded a demo for it in hamburg for another nems artist billy j kramer billy j kramer in the dakotas and uh, he recorded it in the bathroom in Hamburg. And when he finished the song, he pulled the chain on the t- and flushed the toilet. So, I don't know if that was a comment on his own song or what. Exactly. Well, here's a
1: trivia for you: like this song was uh, based on that Snow White uh, song, and the White album was originally called the Snow White album. Did oh, you know that? there you go. That's absolutely it's not true at all.
0: <laughs> did you just make that up? I uh, did. So now we come to a song that you've mentioned a few times, so we can finally mention it and right. by name, which is a song number was eighth song recorded. Okay. Second song on the album. All right. Misery.
1: Ah, yes, okay. The world has
0: been treating him bad.
1: Yep. You need, Misery. And you need this. You need this song at this point. One, because kids are miserable. You know, there's a, everyone's going to go through a, a crappy mm-hmm. time, and you need your song, and you can't always go to Roy so that's, that's why we He's like, busy
0: that's why we like Charlie Brown so we we need that sad melancholy in our lives
1: right and you also want to know that these guys that seem to be having a great time and are really uh doing well with the ladies mm-hmm. you know what things ain't that great for them they got feelings too They're wide ranges to of be. emotion and also you want that as a, as a girl you want to go I can help him I'm <laughs> the guy he's just with the wrong girl I can I can be that girl for him and if only he knew and uh, it's perfect.
0: They actually wrote this song for a woman. They wrote the song for Helen Shapiro, who they were touring with, and they thought it was possible they were be able to sell the song mm-hmm. for her to sing, she was quite a popular singer at that time. Uh, and to me, when I listen to it, it's more of a it's it's more of a joke. I think they treat it jokingly. Like when you listen to the lyrics, okay, and when you listen to the instrumentation of the song, it's done in a very jokey style. It's done in a kind of a tongue-in-cheek style. And in fact, it was a turnoff for Capitol Records. When they heard it, the kind of British Britishness of it and the humor of it was a real turnoff to them and, and convinced them even more that the Beatles would not translate in America. I'm going
1: to guess that the Americans did not get that humor and they just went straight for <laughs> it, the, oh, yeah, you know, it worked. Yeah. Like to me, when I when I was uh, like just reading the lyrics, it felt like, oh, this would be a good counter to say crazy, you know, crazy uh, for trying, crazy for lying, crazy mm-hmm. for loving. It's that kind of song of just like things are crap. Really crap, and yeah. you want one of those on your album. Especially if, you know, you got a lot of happy bobby love 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 stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: Not not my favorite Beatles song. I understand. But
1: uh, also the basis for the Stephen King book, Carrie. Oddly, you would think it would be the basis for misery, but no, it was the basis for Carrie.
0: And there you go. So uh song number nine, the ninth song that the Beatles Number recorded. nine? Number nine. So this
1: is number nine. This is Number nine? All right.
0: Actually is not was not was not on the album. <laughs> they recorded a song. But it did not make it onto the album, so it was actually held over for With the Beatles. So we'll talk about it next time. It was Hold Me Tight, but we'll talk about it next time. Okay. They worked on it for like four— So Hold Me
1: Tight is on hold. They worked on it for four hours,
0: and it went nowhere. Dave, I can
1: take that you've now rearranged everything mm -hmm. in this higgly-piggly, wiggly-jiggly thing, but now you're mentioning songs that are not on the album are you going to like right. mention songs that they thought of hey, and things, never recorded no, as well? Not. All right. I might. Let's I might. just go back to because cuz I'm going to I'm going to tell you. Uh, we got ourselves uh we got about like 13 minutes left yeah, in we this can. podcast. Here we go. Cuz
0: no, the rest of the songs are, are all cover versions, so well, covers. Yeah, so we can go as quickly through these as the Beatles went through them in the studio, all right, which is about 3 hours it took them to record all all the songs. So the so if you just want to go through with uh, the first one they recorded in the studio um was um, oh gee, where would I put it?
1: Oh, Johnny, we're gonna go through all these fast. That's how that goes. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's called the podcast curse. You always got to say like, all right, this is gonna be the easy part, folks. Here we go. Just a uh, just a straight Japanese bullet train to the end. And uh, oops, the papers fell on the on oh, the dogs got them, and there they go.
0: Okay, well, actually, the first the first uh, one they recorded that wasn't wasn't a cover was "Taste of Honey."
1: Right. This is my second favorite "Taste of Honey" song.
0: What's oh, your first favorite, Taste of Honey? Herb Albert. It's probably the same song. It sounds like the same song. It's just the same song. Explain the,
1: this to me, Dave. Well, How it was, is this the it same song just, and yet so radically different?
0: It was from a movie yeah. uh, called The Taste of Honey, directed by Tony Richardson, based okay. on a play by Sheila Delaney.
1: Okay. And
0: so... Uh, I was
1: confused by this, because I was going, like, there's some bits in there where it goes... And like, wait, are yeah. we getting into Taste of Honey?
0: Yeah. No, we're not. But are we? He sped it up a little bit. Yeah. The Beatles one's a little slower and a little... It's an okay song. I mean... I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's okay. So
1: you're saying it's the same song, though, as mm-hmm. the Herb Alpert song? I'm sure it is, yeah. You're sure it is? Yeah. All right, interesting. Okay, I'm going to have to give well, both the we'll listen. Have and, to look, uh,
0: we'll have to look and see. It was uh, written by Bobby Scott and Rick Marlowe. Okay. So uh, if you look at The Taste of Honey one by Herb Alpert and see the same writing credits, then you know it was the same song. And
1: uh, I think this also, like, uh, obviously, it's a song about, about love. And lips and such things. Uh, but I think it also appeals to kids who like sweet things and enjoy honey.
0: Well, it wasn't just for them, it also appeals to adults. So it's in a way, it was an attempt to, cr- you know, cross the generational okay. divide so that. You know, you had your raucous twist and shout, but you also had, you know, absolutely. honey,
1: absolutely. You
0: know, the parents could enjoy that too.
1: Yeah, something you know. for mom and dad to enjoy. It's but I also
0: something think- hard for us to understand now is that in those days, music, all the songs shared the same airwaves. Yeah. Now, you didn't have like a rock and roll station that only played rock and roll songs. Right. You had mom and dad listening to a summer place, you know, and uh, songs like that, Matt Monroe and whoever singing their Frank Sinatra and stuff like that. And after the Frank Sinatra song came, please, please me. You know, so you had Frank Sinatra singing um, whatever, and then you had—he didn't
1: have a song called whatever. You just saying yeah, I'm just Frank. saying whatever. Though I would love and then... to hear Frank Sinatra sing a song called whatever generic <laughs> things. I like stuff and eh, not specific. Everything's all right, I guess. With the the taste of honey, just going back to my my original dumb point, and I acknowledge this is a stupid point. But every so often, like about I think every five years, it seems like a song would come out talking about lollipops or candy Mm -hmm. or things like that. And you know what? I think kids do enjoy a, a little bit of sweet stuff. And finally, the Archies had the big hit with the old uh, "Sugar, Sugar, Honey, Honey." Sugar,
0: Sugar. You know what? Big they, hit with "Lollipop, Lollipop, My Baby Lollipop."
1: And we're talking about something very different every time we mention these sweet things. We are talking <laughs> about lips. We are talking about love. We are not talking about candy. We are yeah. not going to the candy shop for this type of candy. And yet, well, there was a
0: there was a whole late late sixty genre, bubblegum pop, right? So mm-hmm. that was all all sweet sweet songs about you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um. So after that other song that they did, which was, let me see here, "Anna, go to him," which was an Arthur Alexander song.
1: Right. Yeah, that one, <laughs> or as I like to call it, the passive aggressive song. You know, like, hey, if uh, he loves you more than me, uh, go yeah, go to him. That's yeah. fine. You know, yeah. it's the old. It's like,
0: he'll never love you as much as I do.
1: Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's possible. It's uh, <laughs> it's like the old, uh, it's like the old saying. And this is the old saying, which is: if you love something, set it free. Mm-hmm. And if it comes back to you, that would be a first, because that's <laughs> never happened.
0: <laughs> I remember a, a girl giving me a, a book with that inscribed in it in high school.
1: If you love something, set it free. Yeah. Did you then throw the book out the window? And went, no, I
0: love it. It was a message to me.
1: It was I a get message it. to me. Yeah, I, I, I once got a mixtape that was all songs that were basically: we should just be friends. <laughs> Like all those songs were.
0: He's not very well. He's not really remembered nowadays, Arthur Alexander. But at in those at that time, he was like a big a big star in like R and B circles. Like in Britain, people in Britain loved him. Like the beat are the Rolling Stones covered. You got to move on by him. Mm-hmm. And the Beatles did another song by him called Soldier of Love, which if you listen to the BBC sessions, you'll hear them do that song there. So this wasn't the only song they did by him. Personally, I think that Arthur Alexander, even though he was the same age as as John Lennon at that time, right. When you listen to his version of Anna. You hear a person who lived in that song when you listen to john lennon's version of it you hear a, a young man singing someone else's song
1: oh that's interesting you know like, when, I, when i was listening to the song though it, it again it it covered a base that was uh, a good one to cover which is you're always gonna be a young man and uh, the girl is gonna like someone more than uh, she likes you and and if you can now in your head go you know what i'm gonna go let her be with him yeah. that's that's my choice I'm going to... You've got no choice in the matter, buddy. She's going with him anyway. But you've now gone, you know what? You go, I'm going to be the bigger man. Yeah. I'm going to let this happen. Yeah. Yeah, you were. Anyway, but there you are. F- fine. Enjoy.
0: So uh, the next song was uh, Boys, which was a song uh, done by the Shirelles.
1: Yeah, that really did sound like uh, a cover of something. That felt like...
0: And this would have been Pete Best's song at one point. This was the drummer number. Yeah. Which the Beatles like to have. In every album, there's a drummer number. Yeah. And this was... So Ringo took over... Uh, best singing of this song what, what's kind of fun about it is the fact that it's a guy singing a song obviously meant for, <laughs> yeah. for a girl to sing and they didn't change it They just sing it. And this, this is like, what it's kind of feel fun like. yeah fun. it was
1: interesting uh, it also to me to me this song i mean it's, it's a poppy enough number but it felt like the kind of song where we're just like well uh folks we're almost done tonight and uh and then the guy at the side is going stretch it out <laughs> like uh i don't know boys let's play boy all right one two three yeah. and we're into this one like there's not a lot of reason for this song to me on this album it's like
0: it was done in one take and that was considered good enough
1: right it's just like there's no yeah that i mean this one this one does not uh, hit any of the emotional beats that the other ones do it doesn't seem to you know all it does is it kind of brings up the energy i suppose at a time when you need it in the album but yeah yeah that's not no one goes what's your favorite beatles song boys no one no one (laughs) in the history even people that really love boys yeah though i've got to say if you're appealing to girls what do girls like
0: they like boys. They like boys. Yeah, yeah, so, boys. Yeah, yeah, boys. Um, so the next song is uh, actually a, another song by a girl group, which was uh, "Chains," which was written by uh, Jerry Goffin and Carole King. Right. Who wrote lots of great songs, and this was a uh,
1: Carole King's amazing, obviously. Was a, yeah. It was actually
0: a hit song by the Cookies, who were uh, the backing group for Little Eva. <laughs> is so they right? saying back, uh, back upon the. I love the, the names the Cookies. Yeah, it's a great name. It's a great name. And though this song was also sung by by George by George Harrison, and uh, what I've heard about this song is that I don't really know the lyrics to it because I, once again I don't really care. But I've heard it that it flirts with sadomasochism in the lyrics with the ch- with the chains element to it. But listen, what I know of the song, uh, I don't really pick that up. Myself. I don't pick
1: that up. Here's here's what I pick up uh, for the, for this song is uh, is like hey hey baby. I'm in this relationship with you. And look, I would love to love you. I would love to. Yeah. This is what I would love to do. Uh, but uh, you will not let me fool around with other girls. Oh. You, uh, so so uh, if you did, like if you gave me more freedom and trusted me, yeah. then we could really have something going. But wow. the baby, you've really got me in chains that's here. That's funny you
0: say that because that's actually why Carol King left Jerry Gof- Goffin for that reason. Is that he wanted to see other people. And she's like, well, then you don't want to see me. So. Yeah. So that's on. what
1: this that's what that song was completely to me.
0: I'm gonna go and write a million selling album. This Bye. is
1: this is one of the like there's a couple of songs in here that that do get a little creepy to me. And this is this is one of them. This is one of those, you know, it's a good thing this relationship is broken up. There's a couple of those songs that like, good for you that this is not working out. That is for the better. And uh and that is that is the case with them. But I don't know, I don't see the S and M thing
0: there. <laughs> yeah. Then we come to another uh Girl song, and it's the second Sherelle song on the album as well, Baby It's You.
1: Baby It's You, okay.
0: Which was uh, music written by Burt Bacharach, the great Burt Bacharach, mm-hmm. and uh, with lyrics by Mac David, who was Hell David's brother, who worked with, with Burt Bacharach at that time before Hell David and, and Bacharach formed their great union that made, produced so many great hit songs. And what was interesting about this song was that Luther Dixon, who was kind of the all-time all kind of all-time producer of the Sherelles, he said to Bacharach, I love this, I'll do this song. If you re-record it, with, and I want different lyrics... So, Bacharach got, put new lyrics to it, did a demo, brought it in, and they they tried to do it themselves, but they can never get sounding as good as a demo. So, actually, it's just the girls recorded over Bacharach's demo. <laughs> it has, like, a plastic organ in it, and it's it's not really super well recorded, but it has a certain quality that's oh, really nice. But I actually prefer the Beatles version. I think the Beatles version of that song is really great. One
1: thing I like about this song <laughs> when I was listening to it, in the, uh, in the opening lyrics, it's not the way you smiled that touched my heart. It really sounded like... <laughs> Like, I don't. Who's the singer in this one? Is this Paul or John? It's John. John. It sounds like John almost got caught off guard and didn't know that the song was about to begin. Like, there's a little stutter, stammer. It's just like, what? Uh, Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it just
0: wasn't fixed because they didn't have time.
1: No, and I like it too. It's just this really natural Mm -hmm. thing of just like, what now? Okay. Uh, uh, All right, we're in. And, uh, but it
0: also could have been what he. The song might, the song has a bit of a stumbling Absolutely. sound to each of the beginning of the, each it verse. There could be really, 101
1: so. different different yeah. reasons. Yeah. But that was something interesting and, and it felt really natu- a natural start to the song uh, sure. for, uh, for a little bit of an awkward song. Yeah, it worked for me. And again, this one is scream bait. Like this one is you're just looking at the audience. Like it's the listen, do you want to know a secret? You're going to get the eyes to scream. Uh, and baby, it's you. Just oh, come on come on leave those girls alone in the audience they can't take this they, you know they got strong young hearts but they can only take so much yeah come on buddy.
0: Well this song probably would have been done a lot faster live as well though. Oh
1: I'm sure and had to it yeah this is the the girls are rushing the stage mm-hmm. the guys are the guys are in the back going <laughs> I shouldn't have brought her here. I don't know what to do and this is all at lunch they say yeah. I got to go back to work
0: <laughs> So the final song mm-hmm. the final song on the album the final song we'll talk about today is uh, the great. The final song recorded at their recording session. And what's weird is this was a big song in their act. Yep. It was a big song in their act. So you think that it would have been like a natural closer for the album. Mm-hmm. But everyone agrees that they had they had a kind of a last minute rest, last minute, last minute meeting to talk about what song they're going to use for the final song. And it was decided at this meeting where they had some coffee and Lennon had some more warm milk <laughs> to end with Twist and Shout.
1: And someone asked, can I have some of that uh, milk for my coffee? And, and Lennon went, no. <laughs> Which and that was the start. But it seems amazing, right?
0: Like, wouldn't you just think that would have been like the natural go-to end song does, for, the, it, for the first album? Again, it's
1: it's a weird thing with a lot of different art, you know, films and albums that it feels like. Well, obviously, that's what it was supposed to yeah. be. Like, because it does. As I said, it starts with I saw her standing there. Yeah, you're at the you're at the you're at the concert. You know, and, at the uh, dance. Yeah. you're at the dance, and uh, will you dance with me? And then it ends with
0: probably a sock hop.
1: Could be, and then it ends with "Come on, let's shake it up, baby." You are now well into the dance, mm-hmm. and now things are at the best time of the dance, and we're just going, yeah. just batshit bananas. That's what you're going at the end, and we're just just going crazy. Yeah. Unless, of course, it's it, they're talking about sex. Is this a song about dancing or is it a song about sex?
0: Twist and show Yeah, it's. I would think it's a song about dancing. Let's
1: go with that. That's what yeah. I think. Like because sometimes, sometimes I get fooled, and I think a song is about candy, and all of a sudden I'm told it's say it's not.
0: Well I know that it was first done by a group called the Top Notes
1: and it was I was produced
0: by the Phil, by Phil Spector.
1: Yeah, and I listened to that version and yeah. I actually kind of like that version. Really? I yeah. don't think
0: I don't think I don't like it that much cuz I think it and it has more like of the twist sound to it. It has more of, a it. Mm-hmm. It has more of a, like a, that twist sound, it has, it has the horns and stuff in it. I actually prefer the I prefer the Beatles version most of all, well, but I actually prefer the Isley Brothers. Yeah,
1: the Isley Brothers, though, felt like—Isley Brothers sounded like a song I've heard before. It was yeah. like, this is a very well done yeah. this, but I've heard this in the 60s before. Yeah. But it's the, well, Actually, you
0: heard it from the 50s before, because 50s. it really—it's a
1: variant of— It's La- very that. No,
0: it's a variant of La Bamba. Ah,
1: okay, If you think I about how
0: the— Da, 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 la da, 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 la bomba. If you just do that th- that line, you can sing La bomba to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, The other the other
1: version sounded a bit raw to me, and maybe oh. it's just uh, it sound a bit but new. What's, what's and interesting so I was, is he, I was into
0: it. Is when Burt Burns wrote it. Uh, now I heard that Medley Russell was a combination uh, pseudonym for Burt Burns, but then I also mm-hmm. read that there was a Phil Medley and Burt Russell was Burt Burns. So it could be either way. Okay, But Burt Burns almost always wrote his songs with his, under a pseudonym, because he also produced them, and so he didn't want his name all over the the records. So, mm-hmm. But, um, so yeah, he wrote it for the... I heard he wrote it for the Isley Brothers, that it was a play on both their last big hit, which was Shout, and yes. the current craze for the twist. So he took those two things, and he put ah. them together into one title.
1: Oh, that magnificent bastard. Yeah,
0: so he had the two things there. And when he... And like, and then he wrote that great riff, that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, which isn't in the Phil Spector produced one. Okay. The top notes version doesn't have that in it. And so what the Beatles did is they took that bass line. Right. And they made it into the whole song. They made, they made that bass line into the riff. And then they had George double it on his guitar, on lead guitar. So he had the bass playing it and the guitar playing that. And so they even brought it out more, you know. Yeah. And when Lennon did it, he stripped down. He stripped off. Not naked, but he took off his shirt, so he was naked from the waist up, and he just belted it out because he knew he had one go on that song. Yeah. That was it, because it was going to be a throat-tearing song, and there's just no way with his yeah. his throat and the condition it was that he was going to be able to do it twice. And you can
1: still hear the roughness and the, and, oh, yeah. and, and, and uh, try to duplicate that now. It's it's perfect, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's so funny. I had no idea. Twist and Shout was a combination of Twist and Shout. No. Yeah. that's yeah. Uh, You know what, Dave? You have justified this entire episode with that alone. <laughs> Is that right? That, uh, that's fantastic. And much like, much like I believe people at the end of uh, that's, uh, if they heard that live, uh, my mind has been blown. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Once you've played that song live in a, in a concert, like you've done that one, da, 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 bam, you got to go. Yeah. Like, you've got to leave. And you know what? You should burn the venue to the ground. <laughs> Nothing else will happen here. Just, it's, we're done. Yeah. It's over. You know, it's uh, it's amazing they had an album that followed that because it feels like we're done now. It's, it's interesting. Over. Like
0: I know that you like the Top Notes version, but but I don't like it as much. But let's say it's the first we've one we've established that. You don't the need to second rub it one. In. The second one is an improvement on that because okay. it brings out the riff, and the Beatles one is even more an improvement on that because it really highlights that riff and really brings it out. So you're saying Kurt does the it
1: next will do it so well. No, I think the Beatles by it. By your theory, I think the Beatles mathematically.
0: It. Yeah, I don't know where else you can improve it. I don't know where else you can put This it. is
1: our challenge to you, listener. If you can do a better version of Twist <laughs> and Shout, uh, please uh, please uh, let us know.
0: One criticism of George Martin is that he was never able to capture the Beatles as they sounded live. Mm. And the problem for George Martin was that British studios could not handle the bass amplitudes that you'd need to to do like a live. Because what they did when they played that song live is they overloaded their amplifiers on stage so that everything was, was distorted. So all the guitars and oh, the bass wow. and everything all sounded all distorted. But they couldn't capture that in the studio because what would happen is the needle would bounce on records and skip because the bass would be too loud interesting so what martin tried what martin did was he turned up the drums and he turned up the game so you get more ambiance, studio ambiance. Now it's as close as you get to like a live feel.
1: I, you know what? I, I, I was thinking it was a, a fool's errand before, but I think I'm on board for this time travel trip. Now you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna also say to our listeners now: yeah. some of you out there uh, on your computers, can we
0: just talk one last thing about the ambiance? Yeah, before uh, we go. after I make a request. Okay, okay. And that
1: request is: if you're a nerd yeah. who is uh, currently working with time travel technology, yes, and you w- you're thinking like uh, I, I want someone to experiment with, mm-hmm. uh, contact us. Yeah. Uh, Dave. Witt will take that experiment. Sure. And, uh, and you're willing to do a one-way trip, you were saying. One way's fine. Wait, really? You're going to, oh, yeah. like, leave everything uh, I behind? Would. I would. Okay, Dave's going <laughs> to abandon everything.
0: As long as I can take people with me. Wait, I'll... what? It's only a one-person trip? That's not fair.
1: Oh, you want, like, a group booking?
0: I want, well, I would like my family to come.
1: Oh, okay, wait, you want, well, is your family willing to live in the 60s? I don't know. Okay.
0: Because, man, then we could go visit uh, Brian Wilson while he's doing uh, Smile. Okay. That'd be pretty awesome, too. Sure.
1: All right, that's fine. All right, Dave's <laughs> planning a time travel trip. We've got uh, we've got uh, just a little bit of time left. What, do, what did you want to wrap up I just want
0: to say, like, one thing about the Beatles is they had the greatest album covers. So if you look at, like, what could have been in terms of photos for that album, like Beatles standing on the steps of, of, of uh, EMI records, kicking their legs up and stuff like that, <laughs> it's <is> awful. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, I think it was George Martin knew someone, a photographer, a Scottish photographer named Angus McBean. And he came in and he took a picture. That is a
1: hilarious name. It's a
0: great name. But it's also a great picture that he took of the Beatles looking down from the EMI building, looking down in that square shape, which was such a fantastic uh, cover that John Lennon had them imitate it later on It was going to be the cover for for let it be
1: is that building still in existence or get back is what been. does called. that building still oh. exist
0: i believe it does yeah the emi building and, okay
1: uh yeah. we have the dogs barking that means it's time to wrap up the time show to wrap up the show all right no just saying it'd be it'd be interesting like everyone always does the abbey road
0: walking mm-hmm. across go to the emi building oh, take that? a little Come picture on, uh, looking down Have a little imagination
1: maybe we'll uh, take a trip maybe we'll do that yeah we'll go uh, back in right time after you well you don't have to take time the building still exists you're wasting your time travel. Anyway, uh, we also, as we said earlier, do a podcast called Sneaky Dragon. Yes. If you want to hear this kind of thing, but with about 75 different topics within the same amount of space, uh, <laughs> please give that a listen. We're at sneakydragon.com. Yes. Uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, give us trivia that we don't know. We will talk about that, mm-hmm. you know, on future episodes. Uh, maybe, you know, wh- whatever you want to hear us, uh, talk about. We're, we're, we're into getting into deep cuts later. We'll we'll do that. Sure, Dave as Johnny Deep Cut. That's what they uh, that's what they called him in high school. Yeah, uh, because of the problem. Problem with cutting. Yeah, he used to cut himself with Beatles albums. Yeah, and go. Why doesn't anyone love me too?
0: I have a great tangent about that, but it's better for Sneaky Dragon.
1: All right, very good. Then uh, we're telling you to listen to Sneaky Dragon. So thank you so much for listening to our first episode. Uh this will get better with time. Yeah. Uh, you know, there you are. Sure. We're a little rambly maybe. No. But uh but uh, there there you know, bear with us. Mm-hmm. Bear with us, you know. If I I don't want to end with an apology. I'm not going to.
0: Yeah. Don't be Canadian.
1: <laughs> no, please please if there's one thing we want to we want to say to everyone out there, please Don't be Canadian. Uh, I have been Ian Boothby.
0: I've been David Dedrick.
1: And this has been Completely Beatles. Thanks for listening. Take care.